Amen. Thank you, Wendy Mitchell. What a beautiful song. Amen. What a beautiful voice. What a beautiful lady. She's married to Bill Mitchell. There is a God. Amen. (laughs) Bill would say that. I love you, Bill Mitchell. Bill and Wendy have been patching our dear friends for so many years. Uh, We go back a long way. Had some great times together. And I love that couple. They don't know how much. And I love you, church. And I'm glad you're here today. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you're doing that, I'm going to have prayer. We lost two very faithful members Friday. Steve Smith and Eugene Sanders both passed away, I think, on Friday. And uh, Steve's funeral will be here on Tuesday at 3 o'clock, a visitation from 1 to 3. And we'll have his service here. Eugene's service will be at Pigeon Forge. They're having a memorial service for him there. I think his family are there, so he's going to be having their service there. Pray for these. Also pray for Donna Sorrell, our pianist. Her sister passed away, I think, yesterday. And I want to pray for her and others in our church who are going through so much. And Myra got to come home. That's a praise the Lord. And we got others who are experiencing uh, cancer and things like that. So we need to pray for them today and intercede for them. Uh, pray for Teresa and the children and her family and her sister, uh, Steve's sister, Patsy, as well. Lift them up and pray for Eugene's wife, Linda, and their family as well. And then, of course, Don and her family and others. Let's pray together. Our Father, Lord, as we just heard, we can have a personal relationship with you. And, Lord, we can experience you in our hearts through salvation, but also just by praising and worshiping you, and be still and know that you are God. You are in control, totally, period. If we will only believe in you and trust in you, our faith can take us to heights in our lives that we never even imagined we could reach. Even amidst our tears, our trials, our tribulation, our pain, and our grief, We know you're right there with us. We praise you in the storm. And Father, we acknowledge you today that you're the great physician through Christ our Savior and our Lord. You're the healer, the Rapha, Lord. You're the mender of hearts. You do put the pieces back together in our lives. And so, Lord, we just want to pray for these families this morning. I pray for Teresa and her family, Lord. And I pray for Linda and her family. Lord, these were good men. These were men who knew Christ. And these were men who faithfully, Lord, lived their faith. And so, Lord, we want to, want to miss them, but we rejoice that they're in heaven. Father, I pray for Donna today, our pianist, Donna Sorrell. I pray for her and her family and the loss of her sister. There's been others, Lord. We can't mention them all, but you know them. And we're here together to pray for one another. One of the reasons we come to church is the body of Christ. We pray together. We worship together. We cry together. We rejoice together. We live together. Not only here, but, Lord, in the life to come. And so we thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for Jesus, who is the head, the salvation. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen and amen. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to talk today about I'm a fool for Christ. The Apostle Paul was a fool for Christ. 
He was a fool for Christ. And so as we look at this today, it's very interesting. I want to do a little uh, uh, monologue, if you will, before we get to there, because I think there's some things on my heart I want to share with you as we approach this message, I'm a fool for Christ. We're living in a world today of highly sophisticated technology. I don't know if you notice that. We have the internet, we have social media, and the, the focus seems to be today on intellectualism, uh, hedonism, and humanism. We've kind of celebrated those things in our land today, and America's motto has shifted from one nation under God to, hey dude, it's all about me. It's all about me now. It's not about God. It's not about even America. It's about me. What have you done for me lately? My rights, my choice. It's all about me. And so, especially for those who are highly versed in academic intellect and philosophy, it appears sometimes they have a tendency to look down on those who don't have as much academic knowledge or education. Sometimes we refer to those folks as country bumpkins, deplorables, unlearned, backward simpletons. It's kind of today we see in these major liberal colleges, these students are protesting and they're demonstrating against anyone and everyone whose ideology doesn't line up with their preconceived intellect. And we're seeing this happening now in our society today. And so the definition in your outline today, I give you a definition of intellectual, of an intellectual. An intellectual is someone who has been educated beyond his or hers intelligence. Amen? Amen? That's what that really is. And would you agree with me that it seems today that we've lost all rationale and all common sense? Amen? Common sense has died. And I'm going to read you common sense obituary. Here it is. Today we mourn the passing of an old friend by the name of common sense. Common sense lived a long life but died from heart failure at the brink of the millennium. No one really knows how old he was since birth records were lost long ago in the bureaucratic red tape. Common sense lived by simple, sound financial policies like don't spend more than you earn. A reliable parenting strategies like the adults are in charge, not the children. And it's okay to come in second. Common sense survived cultural and educational trends, including feminism, body piercing, and new math. In recent decades, his waning strength provided no match for the ravages of overbearing federal legislation. He watched in pain as good people became ruled by self-seeking lawyers and enlightened politicians His health rapidly deteriorated when schools endlessly implemented zero-tolerance policies when reports were heard of six-year-old boys charged with sexual harassment for kissing a classmate, when a teacher was fired for reprimanding an unruly student. It declined even further when schools had to get parental consent to administer aspirin to a student but couldn't inform the parent when a female student is pregnant or wants an abortion. Finally, common sense lost his will to live as the Ten Commandments became contraband, churches became businesses, criminals received better treatment than victims, and federal judges stuck their noses in everything from Boy Scouts to professional sports. And as the end neared, common sense drifted in and out of logic, but he was kept informed of developments regarding regulations for asbestos, smart guns, lawsuits, 
and the use of baby powder. Over the use of baby powder. Finally, when told that the government was giving away free cell phones and that a major city in California was handing out free syringes to the homeless drug addicts, common sense breathed his last. Common sense was preceded in death by his parents, trust and truth. His wife, discretion, his daughter, responsibility, <clears throat> and his son, reason. Common sense is survived by street three stepbrothers, rights, tolerance, and inclusiveness. Not many attended common sense funeral because so many, so few realized they even was gone. Amen. What has happened to America? One thing that was exposed in the election of 2016 was America. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we're in a mess politically, socially, and even morally. Just look at what's happened to common sense right before our eyes. I want you to hear this. We now say that marijuana is legal, although it's been illegal for decades. Many are in jail and in prison today for selling or violating the use of marijuana. Marriage between any other than a man and a woman used to be illegal for centuries and even immoral. And now same-sex marriage is, is legal and even glorified. Abortion for centuries has been illegal, but the culture now says that it is legal. It's perfectly okay to kill innocent babies under the banner of women's choice. And now I want you to understand this. The verse of that is this. Prayer in schools used to be legal for centuries. Now all of a sudden it's become illegal. Having a nativity scene and a cross displayed in public used to be legal but now, in some places, it's becoming illegal. Having Bible study in school or in the workplace used to be legal, but rapidly becoming illegal in most places. Speaking the name of Jesus in the public square used to be considered holy. But now, if you do that, you're either fined or fired for saving the, saying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ out loud. Help me, Rhonda. Amen. What in the world has happened the common sense. The very things that used to be abnormal have become normal. And the things that used to be normal have become abnormal. It really has. Happened right before our eyes. It's become abnormal and even offensive, as I just mentioned some of these things. As a matter of fact, our society has become so involved and so enlightened, there's a TV show even called The New Normal. And we're living under the new normal in our society today. So the question would be, what's happened to common sense? What's happened to good old God-blessed U.S. of A? It seems to be that we've become so sophisticated and intellectual that we've lost all means of common sense, reality, and even morals. And that's the memo, all right? Now, the result, what's the result of that? Our culture views Christianity, listen, there's persecution on Christianity. If you haven't read about this, I'm telling you, it's happening all around us. And, and we're referred to as uneducated, backward, and foolish people. If you ever listen to the Bill Mars of the world, one would think religious folks, especially evangelical Christians, are holding America hostage from becoming a self-progressive, diverse, and intellectual nation, all because of our dependence upon a God. As a matter of fact, in your outline, here's what Bill Mark was quoted as saying, and I quote, We are a nation that is unenlightened because of religion. I do believe that. 
I think religion stops people from thinking. I think it's just crazies. And we're the one crazies. It's unbelievable. Normal has become abnormal. And by the way, this is nothing new. It's nothing new. It was happening in the first century in Corinth. The Apostle Paul was dealing with the same thing. If you'll read Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul went on Mars Hill, and there he debated the philosophers, the intellectuals of that day, the Epicureans and the Stoics. They challenged him. He introduced them to an unknown God. And so they were so intellectual. They had so much philosophy in the Greek, and especially in Corinth. And he walked right into that, and Paul began to deal with that. You know why? Because he used to be one of them. And so Paul began to deal with that. And so today I want to speak on that matter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want you to draw your attention to verse number 17 and following. Now this is the Apostle Paul. The great Apostle Paul is writing this text. I want you to watch this because it's very pertinent, it's very applicable, and relative to our day today. Now verse 17, 1 Corinthians 1, excuse me. All right. Amen. I was hollering for Derrick Henry yesterday, so I'm going to a little bit. That's all we got to holler for, Bama fans. Anyway, here we go. No national championship. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me, Paul said, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. For the message or the foolishness or preaching of the cross... Is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, those of us who have been saved, it's the power of God. For it is written in Isaiah 29, 14, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Well, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer? Or listen to this, that word means debater. Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. You don't know God through intellect. Through the wisdom of God, they did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe in him. Verse 22. For the Jew requests a sign, and the Gentiles or the Greeks... They seek after wisdom. And see, the world is seeking God or seeking whatever divinity they can find through wisdom and through intellect. And so we want to talk about that today. It's very important. Verse 18 is very profound. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to the world out there, to the culture. It's foolish to what I'm doing right now, what you're doing in here. You got out of your bed this morning. You got up and brushed your teeth and combed your hair and you came to church. And you're sitting there listening to a gray-headed man preach out of the Bible. And the world refers to that as absolute foolishness. You're just fools out there. (laughs) But you're fools for Christ. Amen? That's what Paul said. Now, I want you to understand this message today, especially. By the way... Let me inject this. The Bible says, in the Bible, it says this, that the common people heard Jesus gladly. Read it. The common folk heard him gladly. Now, let's move. All right, now, uh, 
how did God go about making the foolish wisdom, the wisdom of the world foolish? How did he do that? With verse number 20, it says that. One example is the people that he chose. See, it doesn't really add up to us either. We think about it. I mean, he chose Moses. The man to lead Israel out of Egypt was Moses, the man that stuttered. He was a shepherd, per se, raised in Egypt, but became a shepherd. And he used him to, to lead the children. What about Peter? Peter was a cursor, cuss, cared an eye, fisherman, rugged fisherman. God chose him to be one of the greatest disciples, apostles that ever lived. And what about Saul, the Pharisee, who became Paul, the preacher, the evangelist? I believe the greatest evangelist that ever lived. Sorry, Junior Hill. But I believe, I believe Paul was probably the greatest evangelist. Junior second, amen? And that's just God. See, only God could turn a prideful persecutor into a powerful preacher. Only God can do that. And he did that for Christ, for, for Paul. And he just does that. Now, what happened was Paul was a self-righteous Pharisee who became a fool for Christ. He really was. Now, Havlick Ellis in your outline said this. Men who know themselves are no longer fools. They stand on the threshold of the door of wisdom. So I would inject this. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know that you are a saint? You are a believer? You are saved in Christ? Do you know who you are? Once you know who you are and you have confidence in knowing who you are in Christ, then you become a fool for Christ and not for the world, not for the culture. Because you know who you are. They may label you. They may say bad things about you. They may make fun of you, holy roller, things like that. That's okay. You know who you are. What are you going to do with a man like that that knows who they are, a woman that knows who they are in Christ? It doesn't matter what you say. I know Christ loves me. He died for me. I'm in Christ. He's in me. I'm on my way to heaven. Say what you want. Paul says, bring it on. Put a sword in me. To live is to die is to gain. He knew who he was. And when you know who you are, it builds confidence, not arrogance. You don't become narcissistic. You don't become arrogant. You become powerful in the confidence that you have in Christ. Amen? And so... Paul knew that. He knew who he was in Christ. Now I want you to turn to chapter 4, 1 Corinthians. Go to your right. Turn to chapter 4. And look with me in verse 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn a page over and then look at chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Watch what it says. Paul writes, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Now stop right there just for a moment. That word spectacle in the Greek text, some of your translation is where we get our word theater. Paul says, I have been put on display. And by the way, if you're a Christian today and you're not ashamed of it, you're going to be on display. Your co-workers, your classmates, your family, your neighbors... Once they know you're a Christian, once they know you stand for what's right in the Word of God and, and you're not ashamed of that, then you're going to be a spectacle. You're going to be on display. You're going to be like a theater on the stage. And I'm telling you, we live in a glass house like that. It's okay. We know who we are. We know where we're going. And we have a message to deliver on the way. 
right? On our way up. On our way up. So Paul knew that. Now watch verse 10. Don't miss it. Here's verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. I love that. I preached this message, a similar text years ago. and I'm telling you, it's, I love this text. We are fools for Christ's sake. Now, he, Paul was a human. He used a little sarcasm here. Look at it. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak. You're strong. You're distinguished. He's speaking of these, uh, these uh, uh, Corinthians. You're distinguished, but we are dishonored. But Paul admits... He admits, I'm a fool for Christ. I'm a fool for Christ. I'm telling you, and that's the message today, he was a fool for Christ. You see, when you totally fall in love with Jesus Christ, you'll do things for his glory you never even imagined or thought you'd be able to do. You've already become something you never thought you'd become, a Christian. (laughs) And then you're able to do things and accomplish things you never in your life would dream. I'm sure Miss Wendy was singing, you know, and she's got a beautiful voice, but she's using it for God's glory. She probably never saw herself on this stage singing for Christ in the early days. I surely never saw myself behind the pulpit. I'm telling you, it is a God. There is a God. And so he'll do great things in your life if you only believe him and trust him and have confidence in him and be willing to come a fool for Christ. He'll use you. Well, here's a principle in your outline. Look at it. I wrote this down. I just really in my heart. When you get past thinking of self and what others think about you, and when you care more about what God thinks, and you're a candidate for a fool for Christ. You've got to get past it. And that's easy to say, but it's hard to do. You've got to get past what others think about you and what the world thinks about you and start thinking more about what God thinks about you. Are we trying to please the culture? Are we trying to please the world? Are we trying to please our neighbor, our classmate? Or are we trying to please God? It's about Him. You're going to spend eternity with Him. And so you need to learn about how it, what it means to be in Christ and Him in you in relationship with God through Christ so He can develop a biblical worldview in you and you can know who you are in Christ. And you're not ashamed to share that. When people ask you, the Bible says we need to be able to give a defense of our faith. When people ask, what's going on in your life? You're different from us. It's all about Jesus. It's nothing I've done. It's all about Him. I'm just living Him out in me. Hey, man, can I get that? Yes, you can. Where do I buy that? You can't buy it. How can I earn that? Can I work real hard? Can't earn it. Free. Free. You just got to believe it and receive it. And God will use you greatly. William Shakespeare, that's what he said. The fool thinks himself to be wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. <laughs> that's a good word. Even by William, isn't it? It really is. The fool thinks himself to be wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. A fool for Christ. Fool for Christ. I like what Jamie Ragel, I heard him say this in, the, in our church when he was preaching one time. He said, we're all one step away from stupid. We are. I don't care how smart you are, how intellect you are. You're one step away from stupid. Amen? And so, that's the message today. I'm a fool for Christ. That's the memo. I'm a fool for Christ. 
The question would be, whose fool are you? I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? In 1992, Patch and I drove to New Orleans with Jeff and Dina Bowman. We went down to watch the national championship with Alabama Crimson Tide playing the Miami Hurricanes. We drove all the way down there, and man, it was exciting. Got to be in New Orleans. And so we went down Bourbon Street. Everybody goes to New Orleans, got to go to Bourbon Street, right? And so Jeff and Dina and Patch and I, we went down Bourbon Street, and I had a sweatshirt that I'd bought. Here's what it said. Alabama is my team. Jesus is my king. And Chad, I wore that down Bourbon Street. You ought to see the strange looks I got. <laughs> now listen, the Miami fans, listen, I, Jeff will tell you, well, I heard him say this. Man, we got to beat God too. <laughs> we got to beat Alabama and God too. I just laughed. Roll tide, roll tide. And so uh, I wasn't ashamed. Wasn't ashamed to wear it down Bourbon Street. Alabama's my team. Jesus is my king. And I wore that proudly. And I got so many strange looks, I really did. And see, I don't wear shirts like that much anymore since I'm a big-time pastor of Lindsay Lane. <laughs> since I, I'm a little more intelligent, I got a little bit more integrity. I don't do that anymore. There's a Greek word for that called hogwash. <laughs> I'm still a fool for Christ. I really, I'm just a simpleton. I'm a simple man. And I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I'm a fool for that, then so be it. I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? Years ago, Patsy and I took a group of our college and some high school, but mostly college students to Las Vegas. We, we uh, partnered with a church there in Las Vegas. So uh, Josh was with me. Josh Kaufman, he's up at the North Plant today. And, and Ashley McCullough was with me. And I, some others were with me. We took a group there. And what we did, we'd been watching Ray Comfort, where he interviewed people out on the street. So what we did, we loaded up. We had a microphone, and Josh took a camera. And so what I would do is go down. We was on the Miracle I mean, the Strip. The Strip right there in Vegas. There's people everywhere. But once they saw that, Josh had the camera like this. And I had this microphone just kind of walking. They thought I was a news person, you know. And so I'd walk up to somebody and say, hey, dudes. He, boy, they, were, well, they couldn't wait to get on camera. And so they'd come up and I'd say, hey, what brought you to Vegas? He said, oh, we're out here vacating. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Why do they call it Sin City, you think? Ah, oh, it's just a lot of stuff out here, a lot of gambling, a lot of stuff going on. I said, yeah. I said, well, great. I said, uh, let me ask you another question. In your opinion, I said, first of all, do you think there's a God? I don't know. One of them said, no, I don't think there's no God, all the kind of stuff. And one of them said, yeah, I think there's God. I said, here's the next question. In your opinion, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? I'll never forget. One guy, there was a big crowd around us. You know, he thought it was TV. He thought I was Bill, uh, Bill uh, O'Reilly, I guess, or somebody like that. <laughs> not O'Bill. Anyway, not Bill. But anyway, they were gathered around. Yeah, here's what this guy said. In your opinion, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? I got it on, uh, we got it on a video somewhere, Daniel, back in the archives. Here's what he said. I think it takes a big old ladder. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, all of them were laughing and cutting up. I'd ask them, do you think there's a God? Heck no, there's no God. I'm out here right now. I hope there's not. Things like that. And so we were out there on, just out there with our little camera and our little microphone. What were we doing? 
we were being fools for Christ. Foolishness, isn't it? We were out there just being fools for Christ. I'll never forget that trip. It was an awesome trip. It really was. Mark Twain said it like this. Mark Twain said, I am great, I'm a great and sublime fool, but then I am God's fool. That's a good word. I'm God's fool. Mark Twain also said this. He's a great theologian, you know. He said this. It's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> Sometimes we are just fools, right? Just really on our own we're fools. But anyway, uh, I hope that this message resonates in your heart. The Apostle Paul became a fool for Christ. And so how did that happen? How did that happen? Now, Jamie, we'll get into the message. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Really, we'll be through here in a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you to look with me uh, in verses 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 2. I'm over here in Romans. There we go. 1 Corinthians 2. And look with me in verses 1 through 5. Let's go 1 through 5. Let me read these. And I, brethren, it's Paul speaking, when I came to you, I did not come with excellent speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, humanism, but in determination or demonstration of the spirit and of the power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wow. Two things there I saw and I want to give you. Number one, Paul was a determined preacher. I came to you not wanting to know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm preaching the cross is what he said. I'm preaching the cross. It may be foolishness to some, but to us who being saved, it's the power of God. So Paul preached the word of God. He preached the mandate that God gave him to preach the word in season and out of season. Now, I want you to know something. You need to understand, Paul was a highly educated man. He was one of the most educated men of all of Jerusalem. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a scholar. He was a Pharisee. He was well-known and versed in, the, in the Israel's history. He knew all of that. He was very intellect, if you will. But when he met Jesus, he had a new life in Christ. And now all he wanted to do was preach Jesus and Him crucified. That's what he said. You see, Paul had gained a personal relationship, and he lost a philosophical religion. He gained a personal relationship, but he lost a philosophical, if you will, religion. Now, his purpose changed. His purpose, he was persecuting Christians. He thought he was doing it in the name of God. He was persecuting Christians, and now he was one. So his philosophy, his plan, and his purpose changed. So Paul preached, Paul preached Christ and not programs. He preached purpose. He preached proclamation. 
and not philosophy. He preached God's power and not man's wisdom and their plans. He also warned young Timothy, his protege, his mentoree, to do the same. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. Listen to this. Preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, keep preaching the word, regardless of what happens. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. It's happening right before our eyes. Right before our eyes. That's kind of why we're in the mess we're in spiritually and morally. As we, the church even, we, at times we've stepped back and we try to be more like the culture instead of the culture becoming like the church. And so we've got to represent Christ, His Word. We have a mandate to preach the Word, to teach the Word, to share the Word, and to love the Word. And so we must be determined like Paul was. He was a determined preacher. Now, number two, Paul also possessed a demonstrated power. Now look there in verse 3 and uh, verse three in our text and through 5. He said, I didn't come to you in good speaking and persuasive words. I mean, he was intelligent. He could do that. He said, I came in weakness and fear and trembling. Sometimes we're that way. Even when we're witnessing, we kind of get fearful and we're trembling. But God's right there with us, and Paul knew that. And that's why Paul said uh, that he came in the power, verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. And so our faith is in the power of God. I'll never forget, Paul says, it's not about who I was, my degrees, and all those kind of things, and my intellect. I, I'm, a, I'm a fool for Christ. I'm a servant of God. I still got intellect. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Just use it for God. But I had a professor when I was in Bible college. His name was uh, Hudson Lee Hudson. He said this, and I'll quote. I'll never forget it. He said, a, do- a doctorate and Ph.D. degree are like a pig's tail. They're cute and curly, but they don't do anything for the ham. It's a good word, isn't it? It's cute and curly, but it doesn't do anything for the ham unless you utilize your wisdom, your intellect, your education, whatever it is. All of those things are to be used for the glory of God. I thank God that we have intellectual people who lead our, our, our universities and uh, all of those things, organizations, all of those who have wisdom, but they're using it for God's great glory. And so I thank God for that. And so we just need to continue to realize that we're in this together, and it's okay to be fear and trembling, you know? Paul said, I've come to you with fear and trembling. I'll never forget, I've shared this before, but I'll never forget uh, my youngest daughter, Joe Dare, when she graduated Athens High School in the year 2000. And uh, I was asked to do the baccalaureate service. And Joe Dare had to introduce me. She was a nervous wreck. But her dad was even more nervous than she was because I had to do a speech. And I'll never forget this. The, uh, the pastor there, Aaron Johnson, then at First Baptist Church, he called me. He said, we, we want you to do the address at the baccalaureate service for Athens High School. All right? All right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I was so nervous. But here's what happened. He said, now, we're, our pastor's going to be there. We're going to lead out. In front of all the students as they walk down. Pastor of First, ba- uh, First Methodist will be there. I will be there. First, the pastor of the Presbyterian Church will be there. And we're all going to wear our robes. Okay. 
Now, I just graduated at Heritage Bible College, small college, but I got my degree, and so we're going to wear our robes. Patsy, where's my robe? And here's what it was. It was a real thin purple robe. It just kind of just buried. You could see through it almost. And the hat, the tassel and the hat was just, it was huge, but it was too small for my head. And uh, it was standing like this and then leaning over it. I was so embarrassed. Just embarrassed and just... What am I going to say? And all that stuff added together. I was just shaking. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you honestly. I was just shaking. And, and here we go. We walked down. I, I told Aaron. I said, hey, by the way, can we not wear those caps? He said, oh, that'll be fine. So they took, all of them took their caps off. <laughs> anyway, and so we took the cap. Here we go down the aisle. I had that little blue, little robe just blowing in the breeze. And I'm going down there. And Joe there sitting on stage. She's about to introduce her dad to come speak. And she got up and introduced her daddy. And I got up. I'll, I'll never forget this. I was just sitting there. Brother Brad, I was praying. I promise you I was praying. And God brought that verse of Scripture to my mind in 2 Timothy 1.7. I've been preaching that. I didn't give you the spirit of fear, but I gave you the spirit of power. And it was sound mind. And I was over there just trying to quote that and remember it didn't help much at the time. But I got up. This is honest God truth. I got up, and when I began to speak, God took over. I'm telling you, he took over. That was good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a little narcissistic, right? I say that to say this. It wasn't about my degree. It wasn't about my intellect. It wasn't about how, how suave or whatever it is to prepare a speech, all of that thing, all of that stuff. But when I got up there, I'm just telling you, I was in the demonstration of the power of God. And I knew it. I knew God had touched me. And I was to speak, just flowed. It just flowed. Like some sermons, sometimes it just flows, man. You know God's doing it. And you know it's not you. And by the way, he's not a respecter of persons. He'll do the same to you. You may not even graduate high school. Like D.L. Moody finished the eighth grade. He'll use you to save millions. Amen? The key is, you've got to be a fool for Christ. You've got to become a fool for Christ. I'll close with this. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, The power that is in the gospel does not lie in eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be converts of souls. Converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, till we would exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the Word of God to give it power to convert the soul. Amen. Amen. Turn one page, 1 Corinthians 3. Just one page. Maybe you don't have to turn a page in your Bible, but 1 Corinthians 3 in verse 18. Bottom line. Bottom line. Paul writes this. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this culture, in this age. Let him become a fool. That he might become wise. In the story. If you're going to be anything for Christ, 
you got to be a fool for Christ. You really do. It's all about him. Now, here's a question. I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking into our hearts today. I pray, Lord, that we would understand that, Lord, we need to grow. We need to grow in our academics. We need to grow in our learning, our skills, all of those things. We need to grow in those things and learn. But, Lord, we've got to realize the proper perspective of our philosophies, of our academics, our education, our intellect, our wisdom, all of those things you bless and you grant, but they may be used for your glory. I thank you for how you raise men and women and boys and girls. You raise them up to be used and anointed for your glory. You use so many tools, sports, academics, scholarships, careers, all kind of things you use so we can have a platform to represent Christ in our life. And I pray we'd realize that we don't get there on our own. You put us there for a reason that we can be used of you like you did Paul. You raised him up. You raised him up to be a fool for Christ. And I pray that I will be that and we would be that for your glory. That we would be a testimony for the grace of God and the power of your spirit in and within us. So Lord, I pray for those right now. Lord, for those today that need to be saved. Those who are here today and they, Lord, they've been a fool for the culture. They've been a fool for the world. Like I was. But Lord, when I met Jesus, like Paul met Jesus, you changed my heart and you changed my life and my direction and my plans and my purpose in life. And so Lord, I want to serve you and I want to be counted for you. Some today need to be saved in this service. They need to come down this aisle. And Lord, not be afraid, not be ashamed, but be a fool for Christ and just say, I'm ready to receive Christ into my life. I pray they would come this morning. Some need to come and join this church. Some need to come and be baptized. Lord, get baptism in order as we saw this morning. Some need to come and pray for others. Whatever you tell us to do, Lord, we want to obey you because you're in control. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you would have your will and your way and we would see victory in Jesus right here in this place this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we play, as we come today for an invitation? I'm begging you to come and do business with God. You've got to settle it in your heart. You've got to know who you are. And I pray you'll do that right now. For any reason, we're here to accept you. You come. As we sing, you come. You come.